Hey now, it is the Shared Interest Podcast. Today, it is part two of the big Bob Mueller investigation show. The show so big that it had to be split into four parts. Last week's episode, part one, was an introduction of the key players involved in the special counsel matter. Part one set the foundation for the whole thing to make sure we all understand that Bob Mueller was appointed as special counsel to take over an investigation that had already been opened by the FBI. Pulled from the court dockets, the congressional transcripts, we got to meet the specific individuals at the Department of Justice and the Federal Bureau of Investigation that were involved in opening this matter. D-Government X. I call them the click for fun. Anyway, part one was an attempt to document who initially opened the investigation. The other obvious question is, why was the investigation opened? And that, my fine listening friends, has turned into quite a tricky question for the Bureau to answer. Which is weird, because it should be a really easy question to answer. But oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. And that's why we need a part two in the big Bob Mueller investigation podcast extravaganza. How about we have a little look at the answers that we've been given so far by the DOJ and FBI as to why they started this investigation in the first place? Because the agencies haven't quite sorted out this poultry dilemma of which came first, the investigation or the egg. We know when it was opened, it was in 2016. We know who opened it, Comey, McCabe, and Strzok. But why was it opened? The FBI launched an investigation into links or coordination between the Russian government and the Trump campaign. That is some very serious stuff. So it should be pretty easy for the FBI to state specifically what predicate they had for doing that. I mean, investigating an active presidential campaign for treasonous activities, that's an extraordinary thing to do. So the Bureau must have had some really, really solid evidence to open that kind of investigation, right? No, they had Carter Page and George Papadopoulos. Yikes. When asked to trace back to the point of origin for why this investigation was initially opened, the answers that the DOJ and FBI came up with were Carter Page and George Papadopoulos. That's right. The stars of the show today are not B-listers. Don't insult my show by suggesting that I'd stoop to second-tier talent. The stars of the show are the very reason that the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Department of Justice gave for opening an investigation into an active presidential campaign. Page and Pop are ground zero for Trump-Russia possible collusion. In order for this whole Trump-Russia narrative to fly, Page and Pop have to be agents of a foreign power. And were... Carter Page or George Papadopoulos really key intermediaries in a conspiracy between the Trump campaign and the Russian government? No shit for brains, of course they weren't. (laughs) The FBI can't even clear the bare minimum hurdle of the appearance that Page and Pop might have been agents of a foreign power. 
Page and Pop were a couple of volunteer members of a campaign foreign policy advisory committee. They had no connections or influence of any kind at any time. And that's why part two, Page and Pop, is probably the most important episode of the Mueller investigation series. Because again, for the whole Trump-Russia narrative to fly, Page and Pop have to be agents of a foreign power, or at least have the credible appearance that they might be. But they're nowhere close to either. It takes about two seconds to figure out that Page and Pop were never players in an international conspiracy to steal an election. Look, friends, it's a completely fair question to ask the DOJ and FBI. Why did you open an investigation into an active presidential campaign? But because the answers completely suck, nobody seems to really want to ask that question about now. The FBI and DOJ story, it simply cannot be reconciled with the facts. No matter what angle you look at it from, there's just no way to make a credible case that George Papadopoulos or Carter Page ever had anything to do with colluding with the Russian government. The FBI counterintelligence division opened a FISA surveillance case on Trump associates without any evidence because they wanted to derail the campaign. How can you not love that? (laughs) I mean, what a time to be alive. This isn't a legitimate use of the authority by the FBI. It's a blatant attack on a political rival by a completely corrupt administration. There's just no way around it. That's what it is. And if you listen to part one of the podcast series on the big Bob Mueller investigation, kind of talk through all the ways that the then-sitting administration was using federal agencies against their political opponents. The IRS was weaponized, the Department of Justice was weaponized, and the FBI was weaponized, too. Andrew McCabe and Peter Strzok, the DX duo from the Federal Bureau of Investigations, they wanted to pin an agent of foreign power case on the Trump campaign. So they did. George Papadopoulos and Carter Page were exactly the type of soft targets that they were looking for. I mean, what a snap call that must have been. Hey, let's go frame these two zilches. That's right, JR. The Trump train left some really low-hanging fruit, and D-Government X has them surrounded. Those poor saps. Page and Pop had no idea the levels of corruption that were going to be thrown at them. A foreign policy advisory committee, that is about as common of a thing as you can have in a campaign. But in the Obama administration's weaponized agency environment, Page and Pop immediately became targets for the clique to exploit. That's why the wrestling angle is so perfect. The whole thing is a work just at a really big scale. It might even be the largest disinformation campaign of all time. It's been hugely successful, though. I mean, what a great promotion. It's got all the right ingredients. Decent script, pretty good actors, and a huge marketing campaign. You can't overstate how essential it was to have the mainstream media willing to just keep pushing the collusion narrative regardless of whether it was true or not. 
I mean, that's a really, really good marketing department. And it allowed the click to conjure collusion out of whole cloth. Trump, Putin, Russian collusion. Trump, Russian sort of collusion. Trump, Russian possible collusion. Trump, Russian metal collusion. Trump, Russia possible collusion. Trump, Russian potentially collusion. Trump, Russia possible collusion. Trump, Russian possible collusion. Trump, Russian collusion. Trump, Russian Russian collusion. Trump, Russia possible collusion. Russia hacked our election. Here comes a big change. Because all of a sudden, Trump, Russian possible collusion, Russian, Russian collusion, Trump, Russian possible collusion, Trump, Russian possible collusion, Trump, with the Russians, collusion, collusion with the Russians, Trump, Russia possible collusion, Trump, Russia possible collusion, prove collusion, prove collusion. <laughs> oh man, I love the Trump Russia jam. Hey, there's been some really objective reporting on this, hasn't there? It's such a wonderful time capsule. I did not just imagine a nonstop media frenzy about Trump colluding with Russia to steal the election from Hillary. That happened. For months and months, the mainstream media echo-chambered that stupid narrative about collusion. But people seemed to love it. We got Putin cock-holster jokes and breathless reporting. There were new bombshell revelations each day. Except there was this one catch. None of it was true. But the media syndicate just kept feeding the deranged partisans this impossible conspiracy theory. I mean, fuck. Gorbels would have been glowing at what the modern U.S. political media did with this. Propaganda, disinformation at this scale, with this level of success? I mean, it's stunning, really. Bravo, team good. Take a bow. You all achieved Reich-level comms. The most important activity for a political party is control and influence of mass media. Don't just capitalize on political illiteracy, plant it and grow it. We're getting a little dark and brooding here, but for real, let's take a look at how twisted this was. I mean, like everything else, it's not complicated. It's just really, really fucked up. In spring of 2016, after becoming the presumptive nominee, Donald Trump announced his Foreign Policy Advisory Committee. If you are not familiar with Foreign Policy Advisory Committees, they are routine campaign accessories. Candidates acknowledge that they are not all-knowing, so they create advisory committees. They get various policy experts, well-known subject matter experts, former military leaders are invited to participate in committees— It's all just to create the appearance of a sharp team that will be able to navigate any troubled waters. Actually, wait. wait. Most candidates acknowledge that they are not all-knowing. Donald Trump named himself as his chief foreign policy advisor. Oh, holy shit. It's still going to be one of my favorite things of all time. I have a very good brain. Don told NBC News that he could handle foreign diplomacy all on his own because he had a very good brain. (laughs) Oh, shit, man. Let me get my composure back here. All right. So, ultimately, Donald Trump decided it was best to go through the motions and create a foreign policy advisory committee. And among the people he listed as members were Carter Page and George Papadopoulos. They were stage props on a one-use Trump campaign video. Volunteer advisors? 
for a campaign that was so wretched that no legitimate policy expert would ever go near it? I mean, let's be real here. That's the only reason these two nobodies ended up on the committee to begin with. But as soon as they were announced as members of the Trump Foreign Policy Advisory Committee, McCabe and Strzok had all they needed to get a sham investigation into the Trump campaign going. government X just invented a conspiracy. DX will fight as dirty as anyone in the business, JR. I already did podcast shows about the circumstances surrounding the George Papadopoulos case. They're in the archive if you want to check them out. So I won't spend a lot of time on pop here, but dude, it is so abundantly clear that George Papadopoulos was never an agent of a foreign power. They framed the fuck out of that kid. Read the charging documents. Phony professors, fake Putin nieces. Those are Western assets. I mean, it's just so obvious that Pop got set up. The click ran ops on a gullible young man, and they won. I mean, ultimately, Pop gets snared in a 1001 beef, and he does like a week and some change in the pen. For what? Was it for Russia collusion? No shit for brains. Of course it wasn't. It was on some chump lying to the feds case that the special counsel created. Oh, poor kid pop. Burned to the ground just to plant a few headlines and keep the narrative going. The media syndicate, they just smiled and poured gas all over it. Tough break, Papadopoulos. Nobody's coming to look at the specifics of your case. None of those brave and noble members of the free press are ever going to ask how in the world... Could George Papadopoulos be a key intermediary in this conspiracy when he has no contact with anyone in the Russian government ever? Again, go look at the file. It's all out there. I dare you. Go read the Kid Pop case file and come back and tell me how you could even have the credible appearance of conspiring with Russia. You can say whatever you want about how dumb or gullible George was, and you're probably right about both. But there is not a single contact with any member of the Russian government anywhere in the file. The claim that Pop was involved in collusion, it collapses immediately. It's a fucking insult to everyone's intelligence for the FBI to suggest there was even the appearance of a link or coordination between George Papadopoulos and the Russian government. There's no probable cause, there's no criminal predicate, there's no nothing. The only thing there is is a couple of corrupt fucks at the FBI counterintelligence division and they see an easy target and they dunked it. And what happened to Carter Page? It's even crazier. How could it be crazier? Very good question. Let's take a look at that. Carter Page. As discussed, Carter Page was indeed a member of the Trump campaign's Foreign Policy Advisory Committee. But Carter might be more well-known for being a person that was named in what we commonly refer to as the Steele dossier. Steele dossier? The dossier? Everyone's familiar with that, yeah? The PP paper. The document that alleged the Don enjoyed water sports with working girls in Moscow hotels. <laughs> yeah, that. The Steele dossier alleged a conspiracy between the Trump campaign 
and Russian operatives to interfere in the election on the behalf of Donald Trump. Dossier is 35 pages in total, but it's really just a series of short memos that were written between June 2016 and the election. Each of the memos in the Steele dossier is supposedly intel about the Trump campaign colluding with Russia to steal the election. And among those allegations was that Carter Page had secret meetings with Russian leaders in Moscow. Nope. Just like Pop had no connection to any Russian operatives, neither did Page. But the clique held key positions at the FBI and the DOJ, so they get to create the evidence on this. And they really liked the idea of calling Carter Page an agent of a foreign power. So it didn't really matter if it was true or not. That's right, JR. They're going to stomp a mud hole in Carter Page. It's now 2019, so we have the benefit of knowing that the Steele dossier was not a legitimate intelligence product. Not even close. As it turns out, the dossier was a Clinton campaign product. (laughs) How kick-ass is that? (laughs) The dossier is a collection of fictional writings by one campaign meant to smear the other. What a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. The dossier is not legitimate intelligence, and it was not produced by verifiable sources. It's a bunch of horseshit pulled directly out of the Clinton campaign's ass. But because D-Government X controls the lever of powers at DOJ and FBI, they just used the bullshit dossier as evidence that Page and Pop were Russian agents. Think about how completely corrupt that is. I mean, my God, what the actual fuck? Um, anyway, here's how the Steele dossier was actually created. There were Clinton campaign entities, and wanting to distance themselves from the final product, they retained Perkins Coie, a law firm to provide legal services. One of the legal services performed by Perkins Coie was hiring Fusion GPS. Fusion GPS calls themselves a strategic intelligence firm. They're really just an oppo research outfit. Campaigns commonly hire oppo research firms to dig up dirt on their opponents, or in some cases, create it. In this particular matter, Fusion hired Christopher Steele. Uh, Technically, they hired Steele's company, Orbis Security. And soon thereafter, Steele starts writing the memos that would become the dossier. As I've said before, we have the benefit of now being in 2019, over two years since the dossier was created, and still, to this very moment, none of the conspiracy or collusion allegations in that dossier have turned out to be true. Carter Page never met with Russian officials as described in the dossier. Michael Cohen never went to Prague as described in the dossier. It's all just a fairy tale. But DX is willing to fight dirty, so the corrupt faction at the FBI pretended that the dossier was credible intelligence, and they presented it to a FISA court as such in order to obtain a Type 1 warrant on Carter Page. Oh wait, pause here for citations. Very important. We can't have vague, now-we-know statements hanging out there. How exactly do we now know? Well, first up, the FISA application on Page has been publicly disclosed, It's partially redacted, but it reveals that the dossier is the bulk of the application. That is the predicate that they used. 
And it's clear that the FBI DOJ was disingenuous in the filing about where the dossier came from and how much of it had actually been corroborated. Steele and his Orbis security company, they ended up getting the shit sued out of them by multiple plaintiffs in multiple countries for giving that phony dossier out to the media. It was really actually pretty cool to spend some time in the UK court dockets. Jolly good old chaps. Reading through the pleadings and responses, and here's what the scene is. As a defendant, Chris Steele was real quick to say, Hey bro, I don't know if anything in the memos was true. Just telling you what I heard, I never said it was true. But he also gets to argue that it's irrelevant if his dossier was true or not. It was in the public interest to give it to the reporters anyway. And he's done really well with that anti-slap defense. The Orbis cases are so fun to monitor. They're in Florida, London, D.C. Just good times. Get out there in that docket and check it out. I mean, he gives up the ghost immediately. He knows nothing in his memos was true. Uh, BuzzFeed got sued as well for publishing the dossier. They prevailed in their case. And I think any reasonable person would call that the correct decision. BuzzFeed is protected by the fair report privilege, It doesn't matter that they're a hack media outlet or not. That's irrelevant. Everyone gets wide latitude in reporting on official government proceedings. And the FBI really did use the dossier to get a FISA warrant on Carter Page. You can't sue BuzzFeed for publishing what the government used in a court filing. Get the fuck out of here with that. So anyway, the dockets on those cases are an unbiased record. And we'll close the citation with that. Let's get back to the FISA warrant on page. In legitimate practice, the FBI would never rely on a hearsay dossier for a Title I FISA warrant. But here, McCabe and Strzok control the FBI actions, so not only did they rely on it, they overstated its legitimacy. It was no big deal for them because they knew they were going to send it over to Sally Yates at the DOJ for approval. As Deputy Attorney General, Sally has signature authority to submit the application to the court, and she did. I mean, Title I FISA warrants are very serious things. Saying that a U.S. person is acting as an agent of a foreign power, that's not a jaywalking beef. You better be damn sure you know what you're saying is correct. Maybe pause right here real quick to make sure we all understand the distinction in what a Title I FISA application is. Title I means that the federal government has legitimate and concrete evidence that a U.S. person is acting as an agent of a foreign power. And when they apply to the court for surveillance, a FISA Title I means the feds get two hops. So not only can they surveil Carter Page, they can surveil anyone that he's in correspondence with and then anyone that that person is in correspondence with. Put the pieces together. By virtue of being on the Trump Foreign Policy Advisory Committee, Carter Page sends an email to somebody like Sam Clovis. And Sam Clovis sends emails to all the highest-ranking people in the Trump administration. Do you get it? It doesn't matter that Carter Page is a nothing, a nobody, on a sham foreign policy advisory committee, it only matters that he sends a single email to somebody in the campaign that is really plugged in. Because 
Title I gives you two hops. So this is very serious stuff that we're talking about here. And the dossier memo about Carter Page, that included some really specific statements about time, place, date, people. I mean, the click just proceeded without corroborating any of those substantive allegations. Probably because they knew it wasn't true. Wait, wait. How could the FBI already know that Page wasn't a Russian agent? Well, because the Bureau already had a direct relationship with Carter Page. How amazing is that? The FBI already had a direct relationship with Carter Page. And what was that direct relationship? Well, Carter was helping the Bureau bust Russians. I know, right? It's totally the best part. (laughs) How fucking great is this? Oh, man. Carter Page helped the FBI bust Russians. He helped, assisted, worked for the FBI. Page wasn't an agent of the Russian government. Page was working for the United States government. Zoinks! How does this happen? I think we should break it down. Dateline 2013. In the matter of United States versus Evgeny Buryakov in the Southern District of New York. That's our citation, U.S. ver Buryakov, SDNY. Court filings and Department of Justice case statements show Carter Page was directly involved in investigations that the Bureau was conducting into a Russian national by the name of Evgeny Buryakov that started in 2013 and concluded with the conviction in the spring of 2016. The Bureau sought Page's assistance, and Page agreed to work as an undercover employee for the Bureau. They commonly refer to those as UCE, undercover employee. Page was helping the FBI make case against Mr. Buryakov. The court docket shows that under the guise of being a legitimate banker, this Buryakov guy was gathering intelligence in New York City, and he sent the information that he collected back to Moscow. He's doing all that spycraft stuff. Buryakov ends up pleading guilty to conspiring to act against the United States as an agent of the Russian Federation. The FBI actually managed to record audio recordings of Buryakov. Let me read directly from the, uh, the case file right here. Quote, The FBI obtained the recordings after an attempt to recruit an FBI undercover employee, UCE number one, who was posing as an analyst from a New York-based energy company. End quote. That's Carter Page. He's UCE number one. Continuing, Page, quote, provided Buryakov with binders containing purported industry analysis as well as covertly placed recording devices. End quote. Carter helped the FBI bug binders so the Bureau could record conversation between the Russians. So how did the FBI know that Carter Page was not an agent of a foreign power? 
because Carter was helping the FBI bust agents of the very same foreign power that they turned around and accused him of being an agent of. How's that for fucking 3D chess, bro? Hey, you want to know how we know that you're an agent of Russia? Because you're at UCE helping us to bust Russians! Jesus Christ, what a fucking disaster this whole thing is. In the spring of 2016, same time frame that he's being announced as a member of Trump's horseshit foreign policy advisory committee, Page is also a UCE assisting the FBI in convicting Buryakov. How about one last quote from a DOJ press release in March 2016? Quote, foreign nationals who attempt to illegally gather economic and other intelligence information through espionage pose a direct threat to U.S. national security. The National Security Division will continue to work with law enforcement partners to identify and hold accountable those who illegally operate as covert agents within the United States. End quote. Who said that? Assistant Attorney General John Carlin. Yes, the very same John Carlin fella who outsourced access to the NSA databases, the same John Carlin that filed fraudulent 702 certifications with the court and then resigned, that John Carlin. DX is going to frame their own informant. Well, they did it, JR. There are no coincidences here. DX knew that Page wasn't an agent of a foreign power. Carter was literally working for the Bureau as an undercover employee busting Russians. But to the clique, it's all a means to an end. And they ruthlessly pursued that end. The clique needed someone, anyone, who was associated with the Trump campaign that they could hang the agent of a foreign power case on. They wanted to run Kid Pop, but he was so fucking pathetic, there was no way they could get a Title I FISA on him. So, they just pivoted over to Page instead. At the most basic level, as always, D-Government X are just opportunists. They're not masterminds. And when the chance to weaponize against a scrub like Pop and Page appeared, boy, oh boy, did they ever jump at it. It all makes perfect sense, doesn't it? When you understand the type of people involved, the positions of absolute power that they held, and the common objective that they all had in mind, it's the least complicated thing ever. It's like the chip clip of corruption. I mean, I would never have thought of it, but damn, man, it's simple and effective. The Trump campaign, of course, was so naive that they just served up page and pop on a platter. I mean, talk about producing a couple of soft targets for DX to exploit. All the click had to do was frame them real quick. So they ran the dossier play. Hey, you want to launder false information and make it appear credible? It's not that hard. Just select an asset with a resume and a previous rapport with the Bureau to create the story you want. Christopher Steele, author of the Steele dossier, he checks the boxes. He's a former British MI6 agent, 
MI6, if you're not familiar, that's like the UK version of the CIA, FBI. And he's assigned to work in Moscow at the embassy for a few years in the 80s. So there's your resume. Now he can be referred to as a well-placed Western intelligence source. After Steele had retired from MI6, he set up his own private investigation company. And under that company, he had worked with the Bureau. And he actually delivered information about FIFA operations. The big soccer association that does the World Cup. Yep, Steele's information helped with indictments of FIFA officials that were involved in racketeering, bribery, all kinds of not legal behavior. Football is a dirty, dirty sport, mate. Um, That's a story for an entirely different podcast. Back to this podcast. By having a previous rapport, that allows the Bureau to say in all of their warrant filings, based on our previous history... We believe the information is credible. You see how quickly we just took some backbencher from the MI6, some cat who worked an embassy beat in the 80s, then did a bit piece on a fucking soccer case, and turned him into a trusted and well-placed Western intelligence source. And once you have that in place, all you need to make the whole thing work is a couple of corrupt FBI guys. That's Peter Strzok's music, JR. And he's coming with Andy McCabe. Uh, Carter Page, of course, has never been charged with any crime. He was completely innocent the entire time. How's that for a work? D government X. They're pretty smooth, right? Cook up a little agent of a foreign power case to hang on the campaign. It probably sounded good on paper. Then the whole election thing happened, and whoops, Donald won. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. That set off the scramble to cover up all the whack stuff the DX was doing. And the scramble got really wild for a minute. That's when shit got dialed up to hysteria. All hands on deck at the Collusion Narrative Center. But the hysteria peaked with getting the special counsel installed. Of course, now we're nearly two years into the Mueller investigation, and to date, Not a single charge related to Trump-Russia collusion has been filed. None. Nada. Zilch. Zero. Uh, Hmm. I wonder why that would be. In part three, we'll go over all of the indictments that Team Mueller has produced so far. Take a good look at how they keep the movie rolling. (laughs) 